0: You want to run the story? You've got five hours until eight o'clock. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Weekend Review.
1: Here's your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. You're listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be hearing from Michael Bachman about the sinking of the Sultana. Uh, Then we'll be hearing from me about Elise Mason, the freshman swimmer who um, was just named Swimmer of the Year in the Greater Midwest Athletic Conference. Then we'll be hearing from Erin Osborne about the cultural fair that was held on campus um, this past week. And finally, we'll hear from Lauren Scott and her opinion on home births. I'm Maddie, and I'm here with Michael Bachman, the Assistant Features Editor for The Collegian. This week, he wrote a story about the sinking of the Sultana, which was a shipwreck that happened in the Mississippi River. Uh, Michael, why don't you tell me a little bit more about this story?
2: Okay, so this is actually the largest maritime disaster in American history. More people died in this shipwreck than died um, on the Titanic, which not many people know. I think most people just kind of assume that the Titanic was... The biggest um, shipwreck ever but it was not in fact um, and so this the sinking of the sultana occurred um, at the end of the civil war um, the ship was ferrying um, union soldiers back home to the north many of which came from michigan and on the way uh, through a series of mishaps the boilers exploded um and as a result over one thousand eight hundred men and women died including i believe it was 75 um uh soldiers from the hillsdale county regiment but i could be mistaken on that number
1: how did you find out about this story originally
2: so i did not know about the sultana shipwreck before this week um it was actually recommended to me by logan washbourne the city news editor um He originally told me to look into Moses Hershey who was a survivor of the shipwreck who had some connections to the college. Uh, I believe he built the original Delt House on Manning Street. So originally that's what the story was going to be about but I spoke to his Hillsdale Historical Society and to the library archivist and they could not provide me with much information on Moses Hershey so we decided to reframe the story to be about the sinking of the sultana instead. Um, Luckily just searching on the Mossy Library database, I was able to find a whole book compiled by a survivor of the shipwreck, which just includes uh, a lot of uh, memoirs and recounts of the explosion from various survivors.
1: What was the research process like since the subjects of this story are not alive anymore? Tell me a little bit about that.
2: So yeah, originally it started off with me reaching out to the two, to the um, Historical Society and to the Archivist Um, And then once they couldn't provide me a lot of information, I just took to Google myself. um, And I watched some documentaries and read some articles um, on the Sultana just to get some background information. And then I just decided to plug it into the Mossy database to see what would happen. And then that's how I found the book on um, the stories from the survivors which I'm very thankful that I decided to do that.
1: What was the most interesting thing you learned when you were researching and writing this story?
2: Um, The most interesting thing I learned was that the explosion probably could have been prevented really easily if it had not been for the greed of the steamboat owner. He was in, I believe he was in Vicksburg, which is where a lot of the um, Union prisoners of war had been released. And he was talking to the quarter master there who made, and they made like an under-the-table deal in which the sultana would take a certain amount of prisoners and then the quartermaster would get a um, kickback um, as a result. However, the amount of soldiers that they agreed on was way above uh, the sultana's carrying capacity. And then, so this, the deal was made three weeks before the prisoner transfer actually happened. So as the sultana was coming back after the three weeks to actually pick up the prisoners, one of the boilers exploded. And instead of having um, it repaired in full, the captain just decided to do a really hasty, shoddy repair. And then he didn't tell anyone that the boiler exploded when he got to Vicksburg. And then after that, he ended up taking more soldiers on board than he had originally even made the deal with, uh, with the quartermaster. So I think kind of the captain's greed is responsible for the death of those almost two thousand men and women which is pretty pretty awful
1: yeah thanks for coming on the show michael
2: thank you for having me i feel like i'm a regular at this point i hope to be on next week
1: <laughs> you're listening to the collegian week in review
3: this is lauren interviewing maddie welsh an assistant editor at the collegian and she wrote an article about the gmax swimmer of the year Uh, Maddie why don't you tell us about this article
1: yeah absolutely so this was a really exciting uh, win of this award Um, Elise Mason is a freshman on the swim team and she won it was announced on Wednesday the uh, swimmer of the year she also won at the conference championship meet the freshman of the year Um, and she's actually the first ever swimmer in GMAC history uh, which is the conference that they're in to win both awards in the same season so a really unprecedented win and uh, just really awesome. She had a great season. She made um, two records in the conference in her 500-yard freestyle and her mile freestyle races, and she also was the only um, representative of the GMAC to go to the NCAA uh, Division II Championship meet, which is just super cool. It was you know, great to see a Hillsdale swimmer there. Representing us, and she did a great job. And she's only a freshman, so it's really cool to see that she is still so much more to do.
3: What are some other awards that uh, the swimmers received?
1: Yeah, so we actually almost had a clean sweep of the GMAC awards for this season. Um, there are five awards for individuals that can be earned. Uh, the only one that we did not win was the Diver of the Year, and that's because Hill still swimming and diving has no divers so we won all of the uh individual awards that we could have won so elise mason won the swimmer of the year and the freshman of the year um cecilia guadalupe won an elite 25 award which means that she had the highest women's gpa at the conference meet which is awesome and then coach kurt kerner who's the head coach of the team he won uh coach of the year for the fourth consecutive year and Swimming and diving has only been in the GMAC for five years. So that means that four out of the five years that swimming and diving has been in this conference, he's won that. And um, similarly, three out of the five years that swimming and diving has been in the conference, I believe we have had three or four freshmen of the year and we've had two or three swimmers of the year. So we are really, um, you know, the Chargers really have their spot in the top of those awards and overall, this season was just awesome for the program. Uh, it was the third year in a row that they won the GMAC championship. So, again, they've won three out of five championships that they possibly could have earned in the conference, which is awesome. Um, they also went undefeated in dual meets. They had 11 dual meets, and they won every single one of them. So that's their second year in a row that they have been undefeated. Last year, they went 8-0. and zero there was also another freshman on the team who um, broke a record in the conference, Megan Clifford in the 200 yard butterfly, broke a record. So yeah, overall it was an awesome season for Charger swimming. They did a great job and um, the coach and a lot of the swimmers that I've talked to said they're really excited to hopefully do it again next year.
3: All right, Maddie. Thank you so much for sharing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The Collegian Weekend Review continues.
3: This is Lauren, and I'm here with Erin Osborne, a Collegian freelancer, and she wrote an article about the International Club hosting a cultural fair. So, Erin, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about this article?
0: Yeah, the International Club hosts an annual cultural fair. And the cultural fair is designed to connect students that have either um, lived internationally, whether they were missionary kids or military kids, or whether they're actual international students, to the rest of the community on campus. So every student that wants to runs a separate booth that represents their home country. For example, we had a few students from Kenya, the Philippines, Bahrain, uh, Romania, Japan, Korea, and a few others. Did you attend this fair yourself? I did indeed, and there was quite a bit of food too, so <laughs> it was a lot of fun. The booths were all set up in the Grucock Union, and you could just go around. Um, almost all of the presenters had a trifold display of some sort, and then interactive things. So for example, there was a girl that did a presentation on Austria, Kat Serkin, and she had a PowerPoint talking about Austria, in addition to schnitzel and a few other foods. Why do you think it's important to have a cultural fair? I think it's important to have a cultural fair because a lot of times in Hillsdale, we are united by a mission, but we don't always think about how different our backgrounds really are. And so when I go to a cultural fair or a cultural event or something, I meet people that can say, oh, did you know that the South Korean language is the easiest language to speak in the world? And I said, no, I didn't. Or you learn about <laughs> the history of vampires in, <laughs> in Romania. And not only do you get to hear fun stories and try some food, but you also get to know the people that you're living with and interacting with and learning with on an entirely deeper level.
3: Is there anything that really stood out to you at a particular booth that you want to share? Oh, that's the
0: tough one. There is so many things that I found to be really, really cool. Um, just the sheer variety, I would say. So... Um, Let's see here. Rachel Harvey and a few other Filipino students ran a Philippines booth and they had a, a type of bacon essentially called desoro. And she's explaining to me, this is how this works and here's how they make it in my home. Here's how it's made differently in the, in the Philippines. And then on the other hand, I, uh, ha- I had to leave in the middle of the fair and I came back and Sadella is just doing a beautiful Kenyan dance that I've never heard, ever seen before in my life. And it was just really incredible to watch how everybody's experiences are so different, but also so similar. All right, Erin, that's actually all the questions I have for you today, but thanks for joining us on the show.
1: This is the Collegian Week in Review. I'm Maddie, and I'm here with Lauren to talk about her story in this week's paper about home births and why women should have an open mind about them. Lauren, tell me a little bit more about this.
3: Yeah. So I really wanted to write this article because I feel like in today's world, there is such a pressure to have a hospital birth. And it's almost as if there's really no other option than a hospital birth. I know many doctors will suggest a hospital birth. And if a woman brings up the idea of a home birth, they, a lot of them will say, well, I'm not going to be your doctor under this. Cause like, I don't want to deal with that. And a lot of it's like, they don't want to deal with the risk. And I get that. But I think that it is essentially an insult to women to uh, doubt their ability uh, to do what they were created to do, and um, there have been many studies. Um, specifically, one reported by a news agency called Reuters, of they did a study of 16 million babies over the course of four years, and compared uh, what they compared were um, hospital births versus home births versus a midwife attended hospital birth. And they basically looked at those numbers to really see like, okay, do more babies actually die in home births and hospital births? Because I feel like that's probably the main concern about home births. Um, A lot of people will say like, oh, well, back in the old days, like babies would die all the time. And so this study was just kind of seeing, is that true? Is this something we should actually take into account? And the study basically showed that um, the uh, risk of your baby dying at a home, home birth is only 0.07% higher than at a hospital birth. And to really break down the study, um, at a home birth, it was 10,000 babies. Out of the 10,000 babies, 13 of them didn't make it. And then versus a hospital birth, it was seven babies out of 10,000. But then a midwife attended hospital birth. It was 3.5 out of 10,000. So I think the key element here is a good midwife. So I think the the key element here is really having a good midwife and um, because they're trained to know a woman's body and to respond, um, know what to do in cases of birth. And um, a lot of times like they they have attended more live natural births than most doctors. And so I um, yeah, that's essentially why I wrote it. I I just thought it was really interesting and something that a lot of women don't know.
1: Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about why you got interested in this topic. So I
3: think I've always kind of been interested in it. My my own mother had uh, five cesarean sections in a hospital and it's um, she was only able to have five children, which is still a lot. considering she had all c-sections but my mom could only have five kids and no more uh, because of that and she was really saddened because she wanted a bigger family and so it's kind of been something I have wondered about and kind of worried about like oh my mom had a c-section does that mean I will have a c-section because I want a lot of kids too and as I started looking into it more I kind of realized that a lot of the hospital births um, a lot of women are Um, getting c-sections that are essentially unnecessary because they could have been prevented. One of the biggest reasons why women have um, c-sections that are unnecessary is because they will be induced before their baby is ready. And a lot of times why women will be induced is because they will go past the 40-week due date. So this due date calculation, it was uh, calculated by a man in the 1800s. His name was Franz Nagel. And basically this calculation, it... um, takes the first day of a woman's last menstrual cycle and it goes back three months and then it adds one year and seven days and this is also based off the assumption that every woman has a 28-day menstrual cycle and that they ovulate on day 14 of their cycle and so essentially if you do not meet all of this criteria which many women in today's world do um don't uh, because of things like stress and birth control, like it's unrealistic to have that expectation that every woman is gonna follow that cycle. You will not give birth at exactly 40 weeks. And so I think it's kind of a ridiculous expectation that doctors have, like if you don't give birth by 40 weeks, your baby is in danger, your baby's gonna die. And essentially 40 weeks really means that half a woman will give birth before 40 weeks and half after and so whenever these women are being induced at 40 weeks a lot of times they will have failure to progress and um, 25 percent of women who are induced uh, will have to have a cesarean section and that leads to a lot of birth trauma that then leads to you having to have an epidural um, which a lot of times like that can have a big effect on you um, and your nerves and i know like my grandma still has back pain from her epidural and so if you really look at why are women having these cesarean sections? Why are there so many failed inductions? Um, and it's all for reasons that could have been prevented just because women are being misformed. Uh, they're scared that their baby's going to die because they've been in there past 40 weeks. And really, that that's not true at all. It's perfectly healthy in most cases to be pregnant for more than 40 weeks.
1: I know that while you were researching and writing this story um, and talking to other people, you had some people who sort of thought that you were making the argument that hospital births are not a good thing at all. Tell me about your take on that.
3: Yeah, so I for sure would never argue that hospital births are a bad thing. Um, Like I said, my own mother had hospital births, and although they weren't perfect, um, a lot of them were accommodating. And I have many friends who have given births in hospital, and they had a wonderful experience. Um, The purpose of writing this article was not at all to say, don't give birth in a hospital or to say, like, you have to do a home birth. I essentially wanted to write this article because I think it is very important to educate women about all of their options. I think it's unfair to tell women that the only option for you is a hospital birth, just like I think it would be unfair to tell women the only option for you is a home birth. It goes either way. So it's it's not a, um, you know, like I just don't like hospitals or I don't think women should do it. I think there are cases where if there's a high risk pregnancy, you should give birth in a hospital. And um. Although there are doctors out there who push the 40 week due date, um, there are a lot of other doctors out there who genuinely care for their patients and they want what is best for the mother and the baby. And so by no means am I um, against a hospital birth. I just think that women deserve uh, to know other options.
1: Thanks for sharing, Lauren.
3: Yeah, of course. You have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM with your host Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian on Instagram at HDale Collegian or you can find us online at www.hillsdalecollegian.com. Again, this has been the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.